Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences and their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week is Kier Gilchrist. He is an actor and a musician. You might know him from starring in shows like Atypical, which just wrapped up its final season. You might know him from starring in the cult classic horror film It Follows, or maybe you saw him in Stanford Prison Experiment, or it's kind of a funny story. Uh, or if you're from Southern California, you might know him from singing in bands like Phalanx or Whelm. But before we get to that interview, let's hear a little from our sponsors. Any coffee fans? Rootless Coffee Company is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars, collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more. Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order by using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com any size any grind any time break free from boring our friends over at discovered have a new issue coming out soon so now is a great time to subscribe discovered is a international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music art skateboarding and anything with a punk ethos you can get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER, spelled out F-I-R-S-T-E-V-E-R, when you visit store.dscvrd.co. And last but not least, you know I have to push the Patreon. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where today subscribers were able to hear the answers to the questions they submitted to Kier. There's a bonus content episode where uh, Kier answers your questions. And if that's something that interests you for upcoming guests, you'll be notified of who's coming on and you can submit questions to them if you pay at at least the $7 level. All right, not going to take up any more of your time. Here's my conversation with Kier Gilchrist. Kier, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. How are you holding up on this? Uh, what day is it today? What day is it today? Is today Friday? It's Friday. Yeah, um, I am doing well, staying cool, um, just packing because I'm moving soon. So, uh, but yeah, this is a nice break talking to you. Yeah, since you've, I saw you, obviously I saw you for a sec yesterday when, when uh, we handed off some equipment here and um, you had mentioned you were moving. How many times since you've lived in Southern California have you had to do this? Or has this been the place you've been in kind of the whole time? Oh, I've moved so many times. I think I've moved, I've lived in, I want to say seven or eight places. Yeah, like oh I God. can't st- sit still at all. And um, yeah, I... Uh, Lots of different roommates and different parts of the city. And, um, yeah, I, I grew up moving all the time. So I think it's really, it's weird for me to stay. I've been in this place for three years, and that's weird for me. Um, Truly. Yeah, because, I mean, growing up, yeah, we born in London, moved to Boston, 106, and then Brooklyn, and then Toronto. And then even there, it was always, like, different little apartments. And, you know, I went to 11 schools by the time I was, like, in high school, I think. Wow. Um, yeah. So, 
it's kind of my normal speed is to be on the move all the time. Was I, I, cause I mean, I know, I know that you were born in London um, and I knew that you had moved around a little bit, but I guess in my head, I had always assumed that it was, you were born in London and then you just spent the rest of your life in Toronto. No, no, I didn't move to Toronto until I was nine. So, okay. um, yeah, I spent like a year in Boston, a year in New York about, and then yeah, Toronto after that. So it's funny. Cause even though I tell people I'm from Toronto, um, cause that's kind of where my formative years were, but I sort of don't belong. I'm not really Canadian or British or American. So it's kind of odd. I feel a little bit like, uh, an outsider wherever I am in the three different yeah. places that I've lived. You're a, you're a man without a home. That's what you are. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, uh, I don't even know what I am. Yeah. It's weird. And then even too, like people, you know, with my accent, it changes so much depending where I'm, where I am or who I'm around. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's funny how that happens. I, I I've never been able to fully, you know, it's like, I know if you're around like old friends and stuff like that, like the, like little, little ticks in your voice can start to start to start to kind of come back. But it's interesting. Like I'll talk, I'll be talking to a friend who's from like a totally different part of the U S that I don't talk like. And then eventually you start to sort of pick up on those, on those sorts of things. It's, uh, yeah, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that if it's like a feeling of wanting to belong to that situation or, or what? I'm sure you some know, psychologist has done a paper on it or something. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't I, I it's weird. Yeah. If I'm in Canada for a bit, I'll start, you know, house and, you know, couch and all that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, like last time I got back from the UK, I was like starting to slip. My intonation is mainly what changes, but I do the same. Even if I'm around Southern people, I think I I've always kind of wanted to be a cowboy or something. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, with the amount of moving you did growing up, was it because... Because you started acting at a, at a pretty young age. What, did that have anything to do with it? or No, no, I didn't start acting until I moved to Toronto. Um, okay. But uh, my dad worked in the music business um, in marketing and sales. And he, uh, you know, his thing was CDs. Um I almost just did a these nuts joke. Uh, <laughs> I did in my head, but no, it was, you know, selling CDs. And so as that, his job sort of collapsed and people stopped buying CDs, he moved from label to label. And then finally we ended up, cause my parents are from Canada. So we ended up back in Toronto and he was working for uh, rounder records there, which is like a country label. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then the reason that I was born in England is that, um, my mom was doing her PhD there at the London School of Economics, and then my dad was working for, uh, I think, a film distribution company there. So, yeah, that's actually why we moved around so much. Okay, interesting. So with your, your pops being involved in, in, uh, in music like that, were you being taken to concerts and all that sort of stuff at, like, a super young age? Like, how, uh, how involved was, was that, I guess, with the family life? It was super involved. I mean, both of my parents are huge music fans. I mean, my mom always jokes my first concert was Nirvana because I was in her. What? I was in her womb. Oh, okay. Uh, so technically, <laughs> I was I was, like, I was kind of you know at, at the show. Um, yeah. And uh, but yeah, it was from a really young age. I was going to shows, and I was one of those little kids. Um, you know, uh, mostly outdoor stuff, like more family friendly stuff. I mean, the first one I really remember was going to see They Might Be Giants. Nice. Um, yeah, because um, my dad was working with them. Uh, and then um, 
I think the first concert that I, I said to my dad, like, hey, I want to go, was probably Ted Leo and the Pharmacist. Oh, wow. Um, that was the first time I said, like, Dad, I want to go see him. Um, and that was my birthday present. That or the Buzzcocks, I'm not sure. But I would go with my dad, mostly, to all these different concerts. Oh, how interesting. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, so with talking to you, it's like I wanted to be able to juggle both parts of your life, which is, uh, you know, music and your acting and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, when I'm talking to musicians, the first thing I usually ask is, like, what the first music they connected with growing up was. Um, so for you, like, obviously with your with your parents being so involved with music, what was the first thing that connected with you that you were, like, obsessed with? I mean, yeah, there was always tons of music in our house. Um, but I guess the first band that I really, you know, just fell head over heels for was probably The Clash. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, always grew up listening to them, but that was the first band that I think I really kind of was like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, listen to more of this. Um, yeah. And they were kind of my first big obsession. How old were you during that? Like, like a, like a seven-year-old, eight-year-old or like older than that? Um, I was, I think like 11 when I really oh, okay. started, or 12 or something. Cause again, before that I didn't really have to look for music cause it was just always in the house. Like my dad had a million CDs and there's always music playing. Um, and, and when you're in that environment, you kind of don't need to seek it out. Um, sure. and so, yeah, I kind of weirdly enough was a little late into the game for that reason. Well, I mean, it probably also helps, though, that it sounds like your parents listen to cool music. You know, it's not like there was something you had to rebel against to try to find your own thing, you know? Oh, yeah. No, it was super easy. Like, I, you know, I had it so easy. Even I think the one time I remember my mom even coming into my room and being like, hey, can you turn it down? I was listening to Doom, like, way too loud. And we shared a wall. Um, and our neighbors were, you know, are super weird conservative people so um yeah so i'm sure uh, that might have been on purpose just blasting police oh bastards. yeah yeah i was i was just blasting it like i you know they were always telling us to keep it down and stuff and so but my it wasn't even for my mom's sake i mean uh, she never really she doesn't like the super heavy stuff but she gets it like you know and um obviously my dad he was the one giving me a lot of you know i'd be like oh i really like this band minor threat he's like oh okay well you should check you know he'd bring me cds he did a lot of CD trades at work and he'd bring me like bad brains and black flag and, you know, he's sort of adolescence and guided me along with that stuff. Oh, that's awesome. That's super cool. So then when it comes to, to acting, like at what point in your life did, did, uh, like, did you see something as a kid that made you want to start acting? Like, do you remember the first kind of early movie or TV type stuff that you connected with that you were, I don't know, I guess maybe inspired by as a kid? I mean, we had, as much as we had music in our house, we also had so much film. Um, my parents are just, you know, all of our walls are covered in, like, original lobby cards. Um, you know, you walk in our front door growing up, and it's all the freaks, you know, Todd Browning's freaks lobby cards. They had all the originals framed, like, Night of the Hunter posters. Damn, that's sick. Um, yeah, um, just, and my parents raised me on, like, film noir and, you know, uh you know, I sort of had kind of like a film education. Um, so yet again, it sort of was always around. And uh, so it's hard to know. And I, I started acting so young. I was 10. Um, and I'd been taking drama classes, and I really enjoyed doing little plays and stuff. Um, but it, that moment of being like, I, I, I don't know if I can remember necessarily what it was because I was so young. Um, 
So I think a lot of actors, they, they're like, oh, you know, I remember this moment right out <laughs> of high school when, you know, I decided I'm just going to go to L.A. and do it. And I sort of just always have been doing it. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not such a clear moment in that regard. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, damn, with all that, like, re- I mean, a lot of the stuff you even mentioned, like Night of the Hunter and stuff like that, it's like that's, that's a wild movie to see when you're, I'm assuming, pretty young. Oh, yeah, it fucked me up. Yeah, we, we, uh, we didn't really have censorship in our house. Sure. There were a couple movies that, you know, my parents would be like, okay, you're not ready for that. But I, I got, yeah, like, or even I bowed out. Like, I remember watching, like, Ringu with my dad, and I was like, I'm not, I can't complete this film. Um, sure. But, yeah, they really didn't believe in, you know, they didn't really believe in babying us in general. You know, they never did baby voices with us. My mom hates that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of, we were just sort of little adults. We were expected to, like, you know, there wasn't, like, my mom hated the whole, like, there's a kid's table and there's an adult table. Like, she wanted us to be able to sit there and talk with their adult friends and keep up in conversation, um, which I think also lended itself to being an actor. Uh, and, and also the fact that I looked really young cause I uh, have delayed bone growth. Um, so it's a condition where your bones don't start growing till way later. So I look hmm. like I was in like the second grade, but I was in the sixth grade. And, okay. uh, so I, that's sort of how I was able to get in there was that I looked like this little tiny kid, but I, you know, had the mind of a 11 year old or whatever. So sure. Yeah. Uh, there was a past guest that I, that I interviewed, uh, this woman, Hallie Gross, who was like a writer. She, she's written on like, uh, Westworld and, um, she did, uh, that, uh, too old to die young show. Uh, she wrote on that, like the, the video game, the last of us Two, but, uh, but she acted for a while and had the same similar thing. She, she, uh, she got to, she was like doing Broadway plays and stuff like that when she was, you know, uh, like playing, playing young, playing like little kid roles, but while being like 19, you know, cause she was just able to, to get in there and like get those roles because they trusted her to be, you know, obviously like a mature enough person to, to handle a lot of those, those kind of situations. I mean, that's still um, the case for me. I mean, I, you know, we just finished Atypical, and I am playing, I think I'm supposed to be 18 or 19. I'm 28. So, yeah. I mean, I had to basically tell, like, make a point to say, okay, I'm done doing, like, high school stuff. Because otherwise I felt like I was just going to be doing it forever. Um, like, yeah. I had this kind of epiphany. I was doing a, like, grab stuff out of your locker in the hallway scene, and I was like, I've been doing this scene for 10 years. Like, I've yeah. been doing this stuff since I was in high school. And I was just like, wow, that's a long time to be playing a kid. I don't yeah, know. I, I think about how uh, TV shows sort of um, cement certain people for a long time in your head. You know, it's like I was, you know, for example, like you think about like Married with Children. It's like Kelly Bundy and Bud were seemingly in high school for so many years, you know, but like I'm sure they were well into their mid 20s. Like, while oh, yeah. they were still, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting how, like, in the public eye, you're framed as still a kid, but you're so much older than that. I'm sure, I'm sure for you, it's like, I'm sure that adds to a little bit of the challenge of, like, thinking you're a teenager doing that show. Oh, yeah. It just gets further and further away from, you know, it was, when I was in high school or just post high school, it felt so real and, and I had so much to draw on, but now it's, it gets, it gets foggy as you get older and, uh, yeah. gets a little harder to pretend you're like 
having butterflies and your first crush or whatever, um, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's wild. And I think even back then too, people used to go, I mean, Dawson's Creek, like that show, oh, they're all example where they're like 30 something and these like sideburns and beards and they're like, <laughs> yeah. you know, supposed to be 15 or something like that. Um, so now I think it's gotten a little more accurate and, but yeah. it's still like, you know, usually the person's much older. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel like that's still consistent. Like whenever you watch like even horror movies where it's like, they're supposed to be a bunch of high school kids and you're like, y'all are like 29. Y'all are like oh, yeah. 33. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I used to think something was wrong with me in high, like when I was at it, cause I looked young, yeah. I looked even younger. And then I was like, I don't look like how you're supposed to, you know, how you're supposed yeah. to look. Why don't I have a beard yet? And, um, and I still don't have a beard. So, you know. Is what it is. I, I, this is about as good as it gets, and you probably can't even tell through the Zoom thing. I, I have a terrible facial hair. Um, but no, I'm with you. It's like, yeah, it's like uh, I, I was a total late bloomer, and the idea, I mean, like, we're all raised on these 80s movies, like, you know, uh, Breakfast Club and all this stuff was like, dude, Judd Nelson looked like he was 45 <laughs> in that movie. Yeah, you know? no, it's for like, real. Or Days and Confused. Those were all, like, straight-up adults, but that's what our idea in our head was as, as like, what a teenager should look like. It kind of fucks with you without really realizing it until you get older and you examine that, you know? Yeah, definitely. There's, I'm traumatized a little bit. Yeah. But, you know. Um, I, I feel it. I feel it. Um, so with uh, with you doing music, when because um, you're in two bands right now, but are those those aren't your first bands, are they? They are. Yeah, really? I was never really able. So you know, growing up in Toronto, especially, I was wanted to be in bands, but it's really hard because I was working so much, and you know, you start talking with some people like, oh, we should do something, and you could hop on vocals and. Then it's like, oh, you book something and you're going to be gone for three months and then you come back and like that band's already broken up. Um, (laughs) Or I mean, there were times where like my schedule, especially in high school, was, you know, I had to keep straight A's um, so that I could keep acting. That was like a rule my parents had um, so that I didn't just have only one skill. Um, And then uh, so, you you know, I leave for three months. I mean, there was one point I remember... I came for, like, the first day of school, and then I left for three months to shoot United States of Terra in L.A., and then I came back for, like, two days, and then I went to New York and shot It's Kind of a Funny Story for three or four more months. You know, it was, that was kind of the schedule, so I never had time as much as I loved, you know. I always felt like I was a bit on the outside of the scene because I would show up for a few months and then be gone. So then, yeah, uh, it wasn't until I moved down here that I met uh, my friend Sean and through person i met on a shoot they were like oh you should meet my roommate you know he likes that kind of hardcore that you do and then we met and that was finally when i was able to do it that's awesome and it's kind of a kind of a a, a weird question but with starting a band with people like that like did you did you ever have concerns like in the past with starting bands that like people wanted you to be in it because they like you and they they just think you are a sick vocalist or like, oh, we want to have the kid from the, the TV show or the movie to be in our band. Was that ever like anything that's in the back of your head? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, it's always been something that even just, you know, meeting people at shows and, you know, or I used to really not want anyone to know um, yeah. because of that. And I didn't want people to just be nice to me because, you know, because of that. I mean, Sean, thankfully, we became really close. And I don't think he'd even seen the show I was on or really gave a shit. Um, You know, uh, 
so that I felt pretty comfortable with that. Um, yeah, but I am very careful about who I play in bands with because, yeah, it's definitely a concern that I have that I can be used as a bit of. I mean, there's even been yeah weird times where I you know you wonder like, oh, are you trying to book us because you think we're good? Or because I'm right. in the band, and you know what? Maybe if it's a mix of both, that's okay. But, right. like, you know, you don't want it to be too much, you know, about just having me there. So it's a weird one. It's a weird thing that I always, I'm constantly having to kind of assess with every opportunity that the band gets presented with. Right. It's, it was funny. when uh, I, I feel like you know this, where when you and I first started talking, it was, uh, I was look, I had just played a show at the hi-hat and I was being uh narcissistic and trying to see if there's photos from that show so I clicked the tag of the hi-hat and the night before two nights before whatever was the was the full of hell show that your band played I was like I was like fuck I missed the full of hell show that's what that's the first thing I realized I was like oh fuck I missed the full of hell show god damn it I'm an idiot so I'm so I started just looking at all these photos from the full of hell show and I think Dylan had a photo that was like hanging out with you. And I was like, whoa, wait, isn't that crazy? And then I saw then someone, there was a, fo- a photo of, of you singing in your band. And I was like, he's in a fucking band. How sick is that? And then, you know, I, I, I found that profile, whatever saw. Uh, and then when I saw that you had, were following me, I was like, well, that's about the most flattering thing in the entire world. So that's when you and I started talking. And I, I mean, I quickly checked out your band and was like, yo, it, this band is so good. Like it was, it was, it's, it, you know, it was one of those things where I, I was happy that like that I felt like you guys being on that show didn't feel like anything disingenuous. It's like your band makes complete sense playing with full of hell. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and, and even that, I mean, I, I, you know, because Dylan and I had become friends over the years, you know, he just like, you know, and then gay creeper friends of mine, I did a music video with gay creeper and stuff. And, and, yeah, it's all happened, like, relatively organically. And even with that, you know, they just... I went to their show, and then afterwards, apparently, Chase was saying that, like, um, one of the other dudes in the band was like, I think the kid from It Follows was in the audience. And Chase right. was like, I think I sold a shirt to him. And then he, like, found me on, you know, kind of similarly, like, found me, and then yeah. was like, hey, do you want to come do a music video for Gay Creeper? Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's it's most... I used to be worried that it was going to be, like, really hard to tell who was real and who actually like, you know, liked our band or whatever, but it's been pretty organic and nice and easy. Like I really, uh, I've been pleasantly surprised. Um, and I think in other genres of music, it wouldn't be that way. I think it's partially the fact that it's such a small niche kind of, um, underground scene with generally like a DIY ethic, I think lends itself more to, to keeping it real. Um, I don't know if I was in a pop band, it would be harder, I think, to separate the two, but yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, you know, with I mean, between Dylan and Chase, you got two of the most realist people, yeah, ever. Yeah, between those two, so it's like, yeah, you're not you're not going to get any of that nonsense from those dudes. Yeah, um, are there times where you've because because you're both those bands have toured, right? You've you've been able to do like a couple short short tours. Yeah, uh, not really. Whelm's never really been able to go very far, but uh, Phalanx, yeah, we've done some short stuff. Okay. How was your first tour experience like? Because you had never toured like that before, right? Oh, it was rough. Yeah, we. it was like 
Murphy's Law for real, um, which was great. <laughs> I think I, you know, I felt like I earned my stripes. But even telling some of my friends who've toured extensively, they were like, "Wow, everything that you know could have gone wrong went wrong." Um, I feel like you and I had become like at least at, at, at least acquaintances at that point because I think I remember when that was. Yeah. It was probably was it maybe two thousand eight. 19 maybe yeah it was a few years ago um, yeah yeah I, I think i remember that because you were posting photos you guys were there was like no trailer you guys were all like a lot of people in one van right it was two vans yeah it was us in phalanx and Woundvac, and so That's there right. were eight of us and the van that we rented like we couldn't run the ac so it basically smelled worse than anything i've ever you know it was middle of summer <laughs> no ac yep um you know, uh, all of our gear broke, like everything. Like we were having to borrow oh. like shitty PAs from like a local band, like tiny little, you know, amps and stuff like that. Like we blew, I don't know, 10 fuses or something like that. And we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And, you know, it had been scheduled horribly. So we were doing like, I think one day we did, oh my God, I think we did like 14 hours driving or 16 hours or something like that. Um, like we had to get all the way from Oakland to Seattle. And oh, yeah, it's yeah. A and we had to drive super slow with the AC off because the van kept overheating. And then, you know, Yo, hear me out feel, see if you agree with me on this shit. We should stop calling Oakland and San Francisco uh, Northern California because that shit is Central it's not, California. It's not at all. Yeah. yeah. When you have to do that drive is when you're like, yo, there's like eight hours still left in this goddamn state. So it's like. Northern California should be specifically for like Humboldt. That's it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Maybe Sacramento, I guess, is like that's I consider that Northern California. But no. Yeah. I mean, that is not like at all. I mean, you know. Yeah. Sacramento is only like an hour, uh, an hour kind of more inland or whatever. But like, yo, I'm saying above like it takes so long to get to even Portland, Oregon. You know, it's like one of the worst drives to ever have to do. It's pretty, but it's like long and having to drive that slow with no ac i can only imagine yeah no and everybody was like you guys are stupid like you guys are supposed to go the other way and like we didn't know like i don't know what the fuck we're doing like um i didn't really book most of it but everyone was like wow that was like the most amateur move you never go that direction so lesson learned but um yeah it was crazy like just just really really rough really fun and i love all those people yeah um, but, uh, I'm, never sure you again. I'm sure you wouldn't, you wouldn't take it back. Cause I'm sure it was, it gives you stories for the rest of your life with how gnarly it was. Right. Yeah. I mean, and my favorite stories are always like the messed up stories. Like as much as I have had all these really crazy screwed up experiences in my life, even as they're happening now, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, this sucks. This is going to be a great story. Like, you know, right. it's, it's usually worth it. I felt like same with working in film, you know, like it's kind of similar you know, like I've been on some nightmare shoots that were just completely, complete chaos, poor planning, equipment issues. It's so I kind of was almost ready for this kind of shit. Like I don't get too stressed out because yeah. I'm like, well, it'll happen or it won't. Like I've experienced this many times on film. So but again, I'll be on some shoots and I'm like, wow, this is a nightmare. But like there's going to be some hilarious stories after this. So sure. Yeah, yeah. I bet. So, yeah, let's hop. Let's uh, let's now let's hop back over there. So. Um, just kind of like looking through, uh, stuff did with the, with the, the research that I did. So it was 2003, uh, like a little bit part on Queer as Folk the first time you were ever like, you like got onto something. Yeah. That was my first audition. My okay, first yeah. ever audition was for Queer as Folk. And, 
yeah, I booked it, and my dad was like, don't get used to, like, you know, that doesn't ha- usually happen. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so, yeah, I auditioned for Queer as Folk. It was, like, two lines. I think I say, hi, Dad, bye, Dad. Um, booked it. Was feeling really good. Um, didn't know what Queer as Folk was. Yeah. Um, pretty funny, actually. My parents, like, taped it off TV, and it, like, you know, it's just this, I play, like, the sun. I run out, and then the cuts right to the next scene. It's, like, this real hot and heavy, like, sex scene. Like, like really graphic, and so my parents like. It's, a, it's an HBO show, right? Wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, but the, you know, sure it was like an HBO show. Yeah, it was like it cuts to like my dad or like this dude in a hot tub, like you know, just like boning, and right. uh, like my parents were like, oh, like it just like they were showing me the tape thing, and they were like, oh, and like so whenever we would watch it, we had to like press pause super quick because it was like just a VHS from TV, but right, uh, yeah, that was my first job. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it looked like you uh, you then booked like a few more uh, uh, like uh, what it's what's the term when it's like just above an extra like a uh, like when you actually have yeah. a speaking line. Yeah, just like one. Yeah, I don't even know what that's called. It's called featured the, extra or something like that. Yeah, it's like there's different terminology in Canada too for a lot of oh, okay. stuff. Um, but yeah, I booked like you know again yeah, just like little cute lines, a lot of commercials as well. Okay, I did a lot of commercials. Did really well with that, um, and. Uh, yeah, which was good. It was it was a nice like my confidence built. It wasn't like I got thrown into like you're Harry Potter now and your first job. Right. Or, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I just kind of did little like Canadian TV shows and stuff like that. Okay, and I'm sh- I feel like tell, tell me if I'm wrong. Where confidence is is kind of different when you're a little kid. Like I, I feel like you're less go with the flow or are you're more go with the flow with something like an audition? Like maybe you don't know the, 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 the weight that comes with getting something, you know, like booking something like, or do you remember being more, um, aware of how important something is for like doing an audition? No, I was pretty innocent to, I mean, my parents were very clear, like, you know, take it seriously, be respectful, you know, um, know your lines. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't think I don't think any ten year old can really fully comprehend um, the seriousness of it, which is kind of the beautiful thing, you know, that a lot of people look for when working with kids. They want these really kind of if you watch, you know, special features from like Stand by Me or any of those kind of films, they they're usually looking for this kind of carefree, you know, raw, natural talent. Um, so yeah, that was that was yeah. I mean, I I knew that it got me out of school and that people thought it was really cool and I was saving up money for college. Um, so it seemed important, but yeah, I don't think it fully set in until maybe really high school, you know? Okay. And then what changed for you there? Like, all, then all of a sudden you were just like, Oh fuck, like I really need to land this or like, you yeah. Know. Yeah. I mean, it was, you'd get, especially when I started doing American stuff. Um, you know, what was the first American thing? Um, well, the first technically American movie I shot that it was in Toronto was Dead Silence. Um, which right. Is, I, yeah. Yeah. I, want, I actually wanted to quick ask you about yeah. that because uh, you were like still pretty. How old were you when you needed Dead Silence? Like 11 or 12 or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I forgot that that's like an early James Wan movie. That was his first movie post Saw. I think right? so. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I guess I was I guess the first thing that came to my mind when I was like revisit or just like kind of like looking through imdb or whatever was i wonder or like do you have any memories of that dude on on of like james wan on set just for the sake of like i am i wonder if he was feeling the pressure of having to deliver post saw you know like this is his, his like because i think he did saw one saw two and then this so this is like the departure from 
the thing that's obviously doing well. Like, was the do you remember anything from set? Like, what what uh, working on that was like? Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty chaotic. I mean, it, it, I think James Wan. You know, those movies were tiny budgets. Like Saw's budget was like something like twenty thousand dollars, or maybe oh I'm wrong. God. It's like it, it was kind of part of what made it so famous was how small the budget was. Um, and I could be totally exaggerating. It's more than that, but I know it was a huge. I mean, even step if it was up. like three million, that's like incredibly small for a movie that has yeah. a guy from Princess Bride in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it was like a tiny budget, and then so then this was like a much bigger. Dead Silence was like a big responsibility, and I think, um, yeah, I remember him being pretty stressed, and we had to like reshoot a whole scene, which is never a good thing, um, and it's super stressful. Um, and I remember yeah. he would just like, we both would play like our, uh, Game Boys together, like between oh, really? stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like with those little flip Game Boy, I forget what they were called. Um, but yeah, we were like, I remember just playing, like sitting there with him and like watching him play and me playing at the same time, Aww. but he was super nice, nice, super nice guy and whatever. But, yeah. um, yeah, I think he was pretty stressed out on that and it was a big, big responsibility to have. Sure. So that was so that was your first the the first American shoot. Where did the where was that film? Was it that was in Toronto? So that was the first American movie that like came to Toronto that I did, which was a big step up. And then uh, so I got um, managers that were had an office in L.A. and they were like, oh, we'll fly you down. You know, we're not gonna fly you down, but you fly down with your parent and we'll send you around and you'll meet all the different like casting and people at different studios. So. my dad and I came down and I just did this kind of like tour of going to like Warner brothers and Fox and whatever, and just sitting down and talking with them. And, uh, when I was at Fox, I kept <laughs> quoting family guy, I guess, you know? Um, and then the casting people there were like, actually Seth MacFarlane has a new show. Um, and we need a, like a little boy that's your age. Uh, it's called the winner. And so, uh, went home and then they were like come down and you know audition for this so I was like auditioning you know we did like the whole screen test where you go like in multiple times and crazy enough I actually booked it and it was like a lead part and then they're like okay now you book that now you're gonna go down and read with Rob Corddry in New York um uh because we like him for the best friend and we play best friends so that it, oh, that wow. was like super crazy and he was like yeah still shooting the daily show and um yeah, so that was really wild. And that I started to be like, oh, wow, I'm, like, on an American series, and they're, like, flying me down now. And, you know, right. um, yeah, and from that's where I got my agents was from that, my American agents. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I started. And I saw, too, that you got to do, uh, like, one or two voice things on Family Guy eventually down the line, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember I was, like, in middle school, <laughs> and I remember just getting, a, like, a call like on my cell phone because I got a cell phone. I was pretty stoked. And then yeah. I got a call and it was like, hey, uh, Seth wants to know if you want to do a part on Family Guy. And I was like, you know, to be 12 yeah. or 13, I was, or I think it was 12. My voice hadn't even changed yet. Sure. Um, and I was like, yes, like that's a dream come true. So yeah, I did that. And then I did another episode like a few years ago. Um, yeah. But uh, when you yeah. did it that first time, was it remotely in Toronto or did you like have to come to yeah, it was remote in Toronto. Yeah. Okay. It was like after school I went over and like yeah, it was the scene where like Peter beats me up. He like beats up the other <laughs> paper boy who like 
I don't know, I shove Chris or something, and then he comes over yeah. and beats the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was really fun, and yeah, that was crazy. Have you done uh, much like voice work stuff, or is that kind of it? Like for for Family Guy, like have you, you haven't you haven't done any like animation stuff or anything, have you? I, I did like I did a little like Christian like faith based cartoon thing, like oh, some nice. some shit they would show at Sunday school. Yeah, um, I don't know about like yeah. I don't even remember. It was some, like, Bible thing. And then I did, like, this show called Miss Spider's Sunny Patch. I played an aphid named Squidge, I think. Um, That's it. (laughs) That's all I've done uh, animation-wise. But I really want to. That's something I would love to do. Um, And I have, like, a new uh, voice agent now, and I've been, like, doing some auditions. But it's really competitive to get into voice. Oh, I'm sure. I don't know if you know this. you know that uh, my girlfriend, Ashley... Uh, was a voice on Hey Arnold. No. What, really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, which is great. Yeah, she, uh, she, she acted when she was a kid. She was, on a, she was in that movie Phenomenon with uh, oh, John Travolta. I, have n- yeah. I did not know that. We haven't discussed yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, she, 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 you know, it's like so removed from her life now. But uh, I mean, uh, Hey but Arnold she, is one of my favorite shows. I recently have been watching it again. I love yeah. Hey Arnold. Her character is Lila Sawyer. That's who she was. Lila Sawyer. Yeah, she was like it was like a it's like a tall skinny. I think it's so I think what I, th- I think what it is is it's the girl that uh Arnold has a crush on. Oh, so really? So like yeah, it's like the tall skinny girl with yeah, the like yeah, the, yeah. the pigtails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's, that's what crazy. she played. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's 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 definitely fun. we were dating for like s- Several months before I knew that she she ever did that, so, so one of our mutual friends uh, <laughs> um, exposed it. Was like, you didn't know that? I was like, <laughs> she got all a, embarrassed. A lot of ex child actors don't like talking about it. Like I found that to be true with a lot of my friends because most of my friends have quit. Um, that I because you know you grew up with like a bunch of other kids that you're always at the same auditions and um, yeah. I've got one friend left I think that's still acting um, from that time and most of them don't want anyone to know. Like, sure. and my, my younger sibling also, uh, doesn't ever want to talk about that they used to act as well. Um, but you know, I obviously pull it out and embarrass them <laughs> whenever I can, um, because most of the commercials are still on YouTube. So, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that rules. So, uh, United States of Terror, would you say that was probably like the, the show that really like made your career kind of like start popping off more and more is that fair to say oh yeah because that was like a steady show that was like a few seasons right yeah we did three seasons because yeah so i did that show the winner and we only we did six episodes it was like a Mm mid-season replacement got canceled right away because people found it weird that an adult sounds like a friend with a kid it's it's also like weirdly raunchy but it was like a sitcom with a live audience Um, okay and it was just they i think people were uncomfortable with like me and rob cordry talking about sex and making you know dirty jokes and stuff like that um sure i don't think people could see past that the world wasn't ready because it's actually a pretty funny show but yeah so we got canceled and then um yeah the next thing i got that was kind of the big thing was united states of terra um kind of a similar thing i just sent in a tape from toronto and then they brought me down and we did the whole you know going in for the studio and the execs and this and that and somehow booked that and yeah that that was that was a changed my career a lot i'm sure i I was looking uh, just again with clicking around because Brie Larson was on that show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I saw you also did a movie with her like right around the same time. Yeah. Was that just by chance? No. Yeah. It was completely random. Uh, 
it was so random. Yeah, we had just finished this movie, Just Peck, right. um, which was, yeah, one of my first, like, leads in a movie. And, uh, yeah, and then we got cast as brother and sister, so it was great. Um, we already had, like, all the chemistry. I'm sure that helps, like, going into something so brand new and being like, oh, my God, I know somebody here. Like, there's a, I'm sure there's a little bit of comfort there, right? Oh, yeah. It's because it's, like, every time you start a shoot, it's the first day of school, you know. It's, it's like, oh, yeah. it's, you know, where are you going to sit? Which lunch table are you going to sit at and with who? And, like, you yeah. know, you're going around gauging. Like, I'm looking at band shirts, like, oh, does anyone else here like metal? You right. know, like, it's, uh, you know, you're kind of, like, I know which sort of parts of the crew I'm probably going to have friends you know, like I'm usually like sound guys or sound people, I should say. Um, you know, I know that usually wardrobe, we're going to probably get along pretty well. It's so weird. And so whenever you have somebody you already know, it's such a relief. And um, I've been pretty lucky to work with friends multiple times. And um, yeah, it's uh, but yeah, Bree and I just yeah, we got so close on that show. And then we actually it's lived funny. together for a while. I moved in and rented a room in her house so oh yeah. wow yeah was that on one of the few one of the one of the eight or nine la locations i'm assuming yeah yeah i actually <laughs> lived there like two separate times for like uh intervals but uh oh it was God. pretty dope because yeah um it was a really sweet house and i could listen to records super loud and um yeah it was great there oh yeah and, and she had like a whole jam like guest house in the back with her kit and like amps and everything so Whoa. yeah we would like jam and just you know play music and screw around and stuff oh that's awesome that's awesome um i think the first thing that i ever remember seeing you on when i was thinking about it was it's kind of a funny story um i'm pretty sure that had to have been the first movie i saw because i remember that was i feel like at the time at the height of maybe zach alfanakis being like in the public eye and i'm always such a big fan of when obviously like known comedians do the do the sidestep dramatic role where, or it's like it's hash, half dramatic because he's still it's pretty, you know, kind of yeah. he, he's it's pretty, pretty dramatic char- in that though yeah da- yeah 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 I mean you you have the moments where he's obviously charming and all that sort of stuff but like I guess I, there's not much of a question here but uh, do you have any you know specific memories that, that tie to to doing that film was there was it uh like what time in your life were you probably like fourteen or something no I was like that? seventeen but oh, I look okay, so I look super young as you you sure. know as you you can always. Basically, guess that I'm like a few years older than I look in everything. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was a really, really special movie for me. And um, like, especially, you know, I had been going through my own, you know, issues with like suicidal thoughts and, and self harm and all that kind of stuff. And so then, like, that script, I got that script and it was just totally spoke to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Ryan, I'm a huge fan of Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden, who had done like Half Nelson and, you know, Sugar before that. Um, so I was stoked and, uh, yeah, that was a really crazy shoot. Got to go to New York and kind of just go crazy. Um, like as a 17 year old for sure. Yeah. One had to get emancipated to do the movie, oh, wow. which was crazy. Cause uh, they, I realized New York had these laws where you can only work five hours a day if you're under 18. It's like, no way. I mean, every shot uh-huh. of the movie. So they were like, the only option you have is to get emancipated. And my parents were like, oh, I don't like that. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'd like, I'm going to be 18 in six months. I'm not going to go run away and like join the circus or anything like, <laughs> you know, it, it's fine. And so then we want to get emancipated. It turns out emancipation didn't exist in Ontario. So oh, we wow. had to like get a lawyer to set a legal precedent. So I'm like the first emancipated person in like Ontario history so that I could do that. Um, 
that movie. Um, Is it called like the Cure Law? Now I like, don't know. Oh. I don't know. It's like yeah, some legal pre- somewhere it's written down, and uh, yeah, it's so crazy. But um, yeah, so but that was a crazy movie. And it was so cool. Like I just loved shooting it, and Zach is so talented, and I was like such a big fan of him already as a comedian. And then sure. he, he did such a brilliant job with the dramatic parts of that. I remember one funny story too. We were, I was obsessed with the Smiths at the time. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to the Smiths like every day, and. Uh, yeah, I had, like, this crush on somebody that, you know, wasn't requited. So I was like, oh, this just speaks to me. And so I was, like, listening to it in the van all the time. We'd get driven to work together. And one time we, like, stepped out of the van and we're just walking for a while, like, through this parking lot. And all of a sudden at the top of his lungs, Zach's just, like, starts singing, like, ask, ask. Yeah. Like the middle of the song though. And it just like, scared. So the, I didn't realize me, he, yeah, me, yeah, he just like, started doing that. I didn't even know he could hear my music. So it freaked me the <laughs> fuck out. And he just said nothing and like walked inside. Um, uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite, but he was hilarious. I mean, he's such an interesting guy. Like, yeah, he just, I actually related to him a lot. You know, like he has a farm, he has a goat ranch and like, you know, he's so not like, he doesn't care about any of the fame or anything like that. Yeah. Um, he just kind of wants to be left alone, um, which I can totally relate to. I try to think of questions for, uh, uh, that pertain to it follows that you probably haven't been asked a, a billion times, but one of the first things I thought of when thinking about that movie was, did you have a feeling when it was being made that you were going to be a part, that you were a part of something like genuinely special? Because I stand by saying that that's like, you know, of the last 20 years, like top five horror movies, the last 20 years for sure. Like, and I'm a guy who watches a fuck ton of horror movies. Um, uh, I definitely knew that David was really talented, the director, writer. Um, I knew everybody was really talented that was involved but no, I did not know that it was going to turn out the way it was. Um, because I mean, it was so chaotic. It was another one of those like super low budget indie movies. Like, you know, just everything was going wrong, and I would oh, I wasn't shit. sure okay. we were going to finish the movie. Um, wow. And then, and of course, I didn't know if it was going to be scary because, like, you know, I didn't really, you know, I'd ask David. I'm like, so they're just people, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so they just like, are you going to like CGI some like spooky stuff on them? And make them like ghosts, and he, he's like, no. Um, and I was like, okay, so people are just gonna be. You're just assuming people are gonna be scared by this thing just walking. And he was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, okay, I trust you because we like liked a lot of the same films. And I was like, yeah. okay, I'll trust you, man. But and he's not even a horror guy. Like David is like, I don't. He doesn't even love horror that much. He did. He just knew that basically he was. You know, the way it goes when you're an indie filmmaker. He'd made uh, this. Myth of the American Sleepover, which was, like, a literal right. high school movie with all, like, non-professional actors. It was a cool movie. And then you kind of do horror is another thing you can do at a low budget that you know will sell. So he just right. kind of did a horror to do a horror. So it's kind of brilliant. It makes it all the more brilliant that he was just like, okay, I guess I'll write a horror, and then came up with this amazing film. And um, I love it. It's still, it's probably, it's my favorite, probably, movie that I've been in. And I love horror, yeah. too. So, um but yeah, no, you didn't know at the time. It's funny. I'll bet if I'll bet if we like were to deconstruct the best horror movies and think about who directed them, probably more times than not, they're people that don't stick to just horror movies. You know, like obviously Kubrick is a, a prime example, right? Immediately, where it's like he made The Shining, obviously, but it's like it's the only horror movie he ever made. Yeah, and you know? arguably not even. You know, there's the whole debate: is it even a horror movie? Or more of a psychological thriller. I don't know. You know, I agree with right. you 100%. I think, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
you know, anybody who just only wants to do one genre, I'm not really, I'm, I'm a little sus about sure. that, you know, yeah, um, you. that's fine, I guess. But you know, it's the same with me as an actor. I don't want to just do one genre. Like I have had, I'd sort totally. of had to basically kind of say I'm done with horror and people are like, Oh, and I love horror, but I'm like, I can't just do, I've done so many horror films. And, it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's like, you look at your career, you've done quite a lot of horror movies and you've also done a lot of like teen stuff. You know, yeah, like, like coming like, of age. A, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of coming of age stuff and a lot of horror stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's wild, like the extreme juxtaposition between those two situations, you know? Yeah, it's weird. I've, and I don't know how it's ended up that way. I think I just connect well with that material. But um, and it's yeah. people that don't know that you probably are into like punk and metal. Right. It just happens. to It just happens to be that way. Just I mean, I asked that in a way where it's like I feel like it's probably assumed with people where it's like, oh, he wears all black. He probably will want to be in this horror thing. I used to, I used to hide it. I used to like I had a whole like outfit for uh, meetings. Really? Yeah. Like I would wear like a button up shirt and I used to think it would just totally screw up my chances of like acting if people knew that I liked like grindcore and shit. Like I, yeah. Um, so I used to totally hide it. I like wear a whole co- and it's funny cause it didn't work really. I, and then once I started saying like, screw it, I'm just going to dress like myself. And if they like me as, as I am, then I think we'll be good here. Um, and it works out. It's been great. Like, you know, for the most part, it hasn't seemingly turned anyone off. And if anything, I found a lot more people that like the same stuff. Um, but yeah, I used to totally just like, <laughs> not say anything about it and just pretend like I wasn't into that stuff. Um, cause you know, I think now it's become even, you know, everybody's got tattoos and you know, right. Like fashion has sort of, I guess lots of people were in like fake black metal shirts, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. Right. Um, but at the time it was not, that wasn't the type, you know, like even I remember the amount of roles I'd get, I, you know, I'd go out for and they'd, most common thing I'd get back when I didn't book it was, oh, uh, he's not all American looking enough, which is pretty, that's a screwed up thing to say, um, in hindsight. Yeah. Um, the Aryan, I maybe would be what they meant, but, um, yeah, it's kind of, that was sort of the look back then. So I was like really scared that if they knew then, yeah, my career would be done. Interesting. Um, with the movie, uh, the Stanford prison experiment, I feel like, whenever you revisit that cast, it's literally like the who's who of like the next generation of young actors in that movie. Like there's so many in there. It's, yeah. it's, it's crazy. And for, especially like such an, in, like an indie movie. I remember when I saw the trailer for it, I was like, well, I have to see it. Cause I was always interested in that story. Um, but, but yeah, it's like when you revisit that cast, I mean, so many people are in it. Um, and obviously through you, I met, uh, Logan and and Thomas who are both in that with you yeah yeah um and they came along with you to to a touche show at some point like were they like getting into aggressive music because of stuff you were showing them or or had they ever yeah yeah any of that stuff well I think Logan had like listened to some like I don't know like Norma Jean or something like that in high school you know yeah Um, yeah. but yeah I'm yeah, I remember showing them, like, Touche and stuff like that. But, no. And actually, funny enough, though, now at, for your last question about how many actors are out there, Ezra yeah. Miller is one of the other actors I've met who um, was, like, wearing a black flag shirt the first time I met him okay. or, like, Nausea or something like that. And he... Oh, wow. He's... So, yeah, him and Spencer. This, so that's, like, two other people that I've met that were into that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I've gotten a lot of... Uh, 
my friends more into it, you know, like, cause there's those people who are kind of on the, on the line there where they like, you know, they, you know, they listen to a little, they don't mind it. And then I'm like, Oh good. I can like drag yeah. you into this, you know, a little further. Um, sure. Yeah. And taking someone to a show that's like also like around your age can also just be like, Oh, this is sick. You know, it's not well, like yeah, the, the live thing I think changes it a lot. Like, totally. you know, even yeah, with my partner, like, uh, Michelle had never, I, Michelle had seen like rancid at Coachella once or something. Um, and then, uh, but you know, wasn't all that informed or interested, but then seeing, you know, our bands live and stuff, all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I get that. You know? Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so you get, uh, you get atypical in like 2017. I think that's when the first season I think was, um, Oh yeah. Like five years, four, four years ago, five years ago. Right. Yeah. And I said, uh, cause Welm has already, had already been a band at that point. Yeah. Um, but I always, I forgive me. I'll, I'll never be able to think properly. Is it full? How do you say the second ba- uh, band name? I thought it was phalanx. Cause that's like the British way of saying it, but yeah. all the Americans were like, no, it's phalanx. So we just say phalanx. Phalanx. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always like, I, I look at the word and I'm like, I know how to say you. And then I start looking at, it, I'm like, then I hear you say it and I'm like, I'm going to fuck this up. Um, but, uh, th- do you share members? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do. Um, Sean? Yeah, Sean. So Sean Glaze, who, yeah, we, he had started Whelm just before I joined him, and then we started Phalanx together to have a more a band that we could tour with. Because yeah. um, Whelm just, it never works out. Like, everybody's just too busy. Um, so, because so, yeah. with uh, the first Phalanx re- uh, release was in 2017, right? I think, yeah, at least, I think I recorded to, it right after, yeah, we finished the show. Okay, so like I was going to say, like, months. with the first season of that show being the same time as that band started, was that, like, interesting juggling, trying to do both those things at the same time? Yeah, um, and that's also before I learned this really smart lesson, which is when you're working, don't do music. Um, oh. And I used to try and juggle both um, and, you know, walk this very fine line of, uh, am I going to completely fuck my voice up and not be able to perform properly at work? Oh, shit. Um, yeah. You know, stupid, young. Like, I, I could do both. Um, no, I just, I'm like, when I'm working, I'm not, not practicing. I'm not doing anything. Like, I used to play shows even on the weekends. Or even, I, I left Atypical once. Left it, like, it got them to get me out by 8 p.m. And then, like, went straight and played a show. Yeah. Um, so, so, yes, so, like, you yeah. had days where you would come into work the next day and be like, your voice is, like, fucked. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would, would get pretty lucky. There'd be, or let's say I'd play on Saturday, wake up Sunday and be like, fuck, like I need to drink so much tea today and like yeah. lemon and stuff. Cause if, you know, I show up the next day, like, you know, they're like, what, what happened? Oh, well, I played, you know, I played a show. I used to do like dumb stuff like that. I think just being a little younger, you know, I, one time I was on a movie and I, I flew home, uh, from, I was in Tacoma, Washington flew home to play a show with the body and full of hell when they were on tour together. Cause I was like, I can't not play the show. Yeah. Um, and, uh, flew home and then had to like, I practiced that night, slept, played the show and I had to get up in the morning and, uh, fly back and shoot that day. And I, uh, <laughs> I guess I drank too much and I just slept through my alarm. Oh, so no. I woke up and I was like, Oh, it's weird. It's like really light out. And then, you know, uh, I call the first AD and they're like literally getting ready to work. 
and they called him. They're like, aren't you supposed to be on your flight right now? I'm like, so here's the thing. Oh, my I, God. Uh, I'm not. I totally missed it. And, um, you know, just – and they were so mad. And they had to, like, reschedule the whole movie, which is totally fair. That was stupid as shit. Right. Me. But, um, yeah, I used to just, like, always try and, like, I can do both. I can do everything. Like, I can be in both. I can practice, you know, after – it's and it's just, I've learned a lot that it's, like, just focus on one thing at a time and you yeah. – can you know do a better job at each one so i want to hear your thoughts on this because it's it's a thing that i i run into a lot i blow my voice out especially when it's like you know been forever since i've yelled and and all that sort of stuff and i am very i've always had a very self-conscious feeling about my speaking voice in general so like when my voice is is pre-wrecked it's it's like even worse when I'm nervous and I've heard some, someone once explained to me that having a blown out voice, um, is, is fueled by anxiety. It's like very anxiety induced, uh, because you're nervous about how you sound, right? Like yeah. you're, you're aware that you've obviously been using your voice pretty intensely and now you're feeling rough. So I can imagine if, if this theory is true, which I, I do kind of believe it is, um, I'm wondering if you playing a show the night before nervous that your voice is like maybe wrecked and then getting on set or something and it's even and it's like super bad because the way that I do feel like that's the case is like if you play a show your voice is kind of like oh I, you feel it then you come home and you're hanging out with Michelle and even though your voice is fucked you can have you, your voice probably comes back and is probably kind of okay when talk, just having a conversation with Michelle at home probably right yeah yeah i find that to be true too i've never heard that uh about the anxiety but that makes so much sense um because yeah it's it's weird sometimes i can play i mean you know on tour i play every night in a row fine i totally fine um i don't know why but then yeah there are certain shows where you just you just blow it but yeah totally you come home and you're fine usually the next day i'm next morning i'm completely fine um yeah it's a weird one um but yeah, uh, yeah that it, makes a lot of sense. It's it yeah, it's one of those things that's it's it's always lived in the back of my mind where you know I could be talking to Ashley at home after I've totally just done vocals all day or something like that and it's like I could tell that I'm a little rough but I can, you know, get it out and I can talk and she can understand me and and I can and I can get by. But then it's like if an hour later I go to Starbucks to order a coffee, like my voice does not work. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. is that? Like, why? You know, it's and I, sometimes reminding myself of that helps me kind of get through it a little bit to be like, you're just nervous. You know, like this is just one of those things that happens. But um, I guess to anyone else out there who's listening, who's ever thought about it, just know that it could potentially just be a mental thing, which I don't know if that helps or hurts but to know that it might be yeah. a mental thing. <laughs> it's also weird, too, because, you know, um, people ask me, like, how do you do that? You know, um, and uh, yeah, I so I actually have my mom hates that I do vocals because uh, sure. I actually have vocal cord nodules. So um, and I had them since I was a kid. Um, and like there was a point where I had to go to a speech pathologist to actually get it in check because I would blow my voice out all the time because I didn't know how to use it properly. And if you have nodules, you're prone to like losing your voice because they're basically little blisters on your vocal cords. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, yeah, when I went to the speech pathologist, she was like, the worst thing you can do is whisper. Like, whispering is by far the worst, hardest thing on your voice. Yelling is not that hard, um, obviously, if you do it too much. Um, yeah. But so that's the weird thing. With, like, when I was figuring out how to do vocals, was finding a way to scream that also 
like was the least like whispering, I guess, um, yeah. and using your diaphragm and stuff. But yeah, I, I remember that was interesting. And yeah, so I have to also be like extra careful for that reason because technically, you, <laughs> worst case scenario, you can actually like lose your voice permanently. Totally. Um, so yeah, I don't usually tell people that because then they just feel bad for me. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just no, see no, their look I... on their face. They're like, oh no. Because I mean, um, you yeah. you could potentially get surgery on that though, yeah. right? Yeah. Because yeah. I know, like Davy Havoc, for example, had to have that surgery because he had like uh, pretty pretty bad polyps like on his vocal cords. And I know Jay, uh, sorry, uh, Blake Schwarzenbach from Jawbreaker in the middle of a European oh, really? tour in the '90s had to get the surgery like immediately. He was like on stage spitting up blood while singing. Oh my god! Yeah, like really gnarly. Um, so, well, I hope you never have to get the surgery. It doesn't sound fun, but Me too. it sounds it's like also, you got it in check, though. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I've, I know what I'm doing, and um, I know when to stop. Um, and, uh, like, I'll rather cut a set short if I think that's going to happen. It's too important. And it's also why, like, I'm never going to be in a band that tours for months on end. Like, it's just, like, I don't think I could. Um, yeah. I think two weeks is maybe the maximum I could I can really pull off. But after that, I think I would really be playing with fire, and I'm just, like, not gonna do that you know so um plus i don't want to be on the fucking road for (laughs) that long anyway sorry i like being at home (laughs) i get get it i get it uh well i'm I'm very i'm very uh thankful that i've been able to to see your bands play uh you know before you're you're a hell of a of a front person in your band is there something you you enjoy uh about singing in a band that like feels completely different than obviously acting like is it like a a performative aspect that you feel that's different yeah no I think um you know acting's interesting and there's always a part of it that's you but it's I'm not playing myself um I'm not saying my own words um you know when I'm doing vocals in a band it's my lyrics and well for the most part Sean writes some too but it's my lyrics and it's a side of myself that I never get to really explore otherwise um, and it's just a totally different way of performing. Like, I also kind of like the fact that, you know, some people are like, well, what, you know, you could sing and then people would like know what you're saying. I'm like, I kind of like that too. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm speaking a different language or something. It's like a very private kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I definitely like having the balance of both, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Obviously, this is uh, the the newest season of Atypical. Just is it today? It went up. Yeah, or li- midnight last night. Yeah. <laughs> How you feeling? Are you excited? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's like kind of st- a little stressful when uh, like Atypical drops because it's on Netflix, so it's like everybody gets at the exact same time that I know everywhere um, in the world. So it's like my phone is just like, Ugh. Um, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I'm I'm happy. Like you know, we put it to bed. It kind of feels nice to have an ending to it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what people think. Um, but uh, yeah, it feels good to like move on with uh, put Sam to bed and like move on. And it's kind of a relief because it's a lot of pressure. Being the lead on a show is like it's a lot. Um, is there yeah. anything? Is there anything that you think that you learned from this show that um, you are going to apply to like the rest of your you know, acting career, like uh, doing a show as long as this has, because this is the fourth season, right? Fourth? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I've learned, like, partly what I was talking about before, too, with uh, 
you know, separating, for example, like music and work. And um, I think just in general, taking better care of myself um, while I'm working is a big, a big lesson that I've learned from this. Um, again, I've never had such a huge responsibility for so long. Um, just, you know, getting your sleep and, um, you know, drinking water and not just like coffee and cigarettes. Um, and, uh, so that's like the one thing, but then also just, I think, you know, playing Sam is the most that I've ever just really jumped into a totally different character. That's just not very much like myself. Um, and, and that takes a ton of energy and thought. Um, but I think I proved to myself that I can do something like that. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely, I've, I've become a better actor. I think I would hope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, knowing you just, you know, I think we became acquainted, um, when the show was probably, I think on its first season or something like that. And, you know, obviously knowing you like I do now versus when I've seen you on that show, it's like, you know, it, it shows, it, it tells me, um, a lot about you with how, um, serious and considerate and kind you are when it comes to separating work from, you know, your normal life. Not to say you're not kind and considerate in your normal life, but, you know, with taking on a role like yeah. that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, appreciate that. And, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I, uh, I, I It's even, like, people who've known me for years, you know, who've, you know, friends who've supported my work and stuff like that, I think I really a lot of them, I found them kind of looking at me differently after this, just not in a bad way, just in like a kind of surprised way that, um, that I was able to pull it off. And yeah. So, well, it's, I'm, feels I'm good. so happy. I'm so happy for you. And I'm so happy that, um, you got to be a part of a show that had a strong four seasons that got to have a, that got to have closure, you know, cause so many shows don't get to have closure. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And, yeah. No, knowing we were, it was our last season was really nice. Cause yeah, I mean like with the United States of Terra, we were all hoping we were going to see each other again in nine months. Oof. And so it just never, and that, you know, there's still a part of me that's like, damn, I would have loved to just finish that, um, storyline off. A, that strikes yeah. me as a show that seems like it was so popular at a time that like, it feels like someone in a boardroom is going to be like, what if we do a new season? You know what I'm saying? Like we would all do that. I mean, we t- we joked about like a follow up movie or something would be super cool. I mean, if Tony Collette's ever available again, like <laughs> I I emailed her like not that long ago uh, to ask if she'd be interested in doing this film that I was attached to, and she was like, uh, "Can you guys wait three years to shoot it?" Because you know she just booked forever. But yeah, no, we sure. would all love to like you know that was such a cool show. But yeah, so it is nice to have the closure now. Um, yeah, but I, yeah. Hey, if you're out there, you're a producer at Showtime or whatever, <laughs> bring us back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, it was like a Emmy nominated show. It's just, it's just wild. You know, it does strike me as a show that they would they'd be like, all right, 20, what's happening in these people's lives in 2024. You know? I enjoy it. Sometimes I enjoy those. Like I'm really excited for party down. I don't know if you watched They're party down. Back? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. 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 And that was like 10 years ago. Um, I had no idea. Yeah, they announced that they're doing Party Down, like, a new a last season or something like that. Same which cast? I think so. It, that was the only way I'd want to watch it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's, like, I'm excited for that. That's yeah. such a good show. Oh, my that's... God, I've seen it so many times. It's yeah. just peak. Like, whenever I have friends who are like, hey, I'm writing a comedy. Like, do you have any advice? I'm like, watch that show. And, like, yeah. analyze how it's so perfect. Like, every episode is its own little, like, perfect circle Every joke, you know, yeah. comes back around. It's it's great. 
I'm such a Ken Marino fanatic. Same. Um, were you a state guy? We were talking about the state. No, 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 no. I, honestly, Ken Marino, I fell in love with him from Party Down. Right, right, right. Uh, I, and then I man. watched like Burning Love and like you know, oh, Burning all that Love shit. is so yeah. funny. Yeah, so funny. Uh, I uh, I'm I ran into him at Greco's Pizza, which is that shitty big slice spot on the corner of Hollywood and Highland, like in the worst, you know, most congested part of I, LA. I know what. Yeah, I know the yeah. place. Um, I I used to live in Los Feliz with a bunch of friends in a punk house in like the early 2000s. So we'd go to Greco's at like two in the morning because it was open till like four in the morning just to get a slice of pizza. And it was like the street was always empty. And uh, we were in there at like two in the morning and Ken Marino came walking in just by himself. And it was in like 2001, I want to say. And um, I just walked up to him and I was like, hey, man, I don't mean to bother you. And I could tell that he thought I was going to ask him for money, like as if, like, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, like, <laughs> like he would like to I could tell that being stopped on the street for who he was was not a common thing at the time. So I was like, hey, man, I don't, I don't mean to bother you. He's like, oh, uh, what's up? And I was like, I just need to tell you, you're one of the funniest people of all time. The state is my all time favorite show. I love what had American summer. Thank you just so much for all of that. And he was like, you know, taken back. He's like, Oh my God, thank you. I'm Ken. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but I remember I said, you know, so are you working on anything right now? And he was like, just trying to pay my bills. And I was like, word. He's like, they were working on it. He said, uh, that they were, he was writing a new movie at the time with David Wayne, which ended up being, I don't know if you ever saw the 10. You ever see that movie? No. So the 10 is, uh, it's, uh, him and David Wayne, the same person who did What Hot American Summer that he was on the state with. And it's the Ten Commandments done in ten different skits, basically. Oh, um, shit. I need has, to find this. It's it's not even on Blu-ray or anything like that. Like, it, it, it was only on DVD. I actually have a DVD of you can totally borrow it. But it has Rob Corddry in it. He's in it. Oh, shit. Uh, um, it has got, it's basically got everybody who's in What Hot American Summer. It's, it's so, so funny. It's really fucked up. It's really, really fucked up. But uh, I think you'd enjoy it. That's, uh, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to just send this over to you. I mean, when I, when I uh, pick up the equipment, I'm yeah, going to bring it over really for you. I would really love that. Yeah, yeah. I would really want to see that. Um, that sounds like right up my alley. Um, and I'm leaving yeah. this part in, in the podcast that everyone has to hear me talk about this film. Everybody go watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, find it. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's some of those, that stuff from that era, just like, dis, it's like impossible to find now. It's crazy. Absolutely. Like, like that show I did with Rob Corddry, the winner. I have no idea where it is, where to find Damn. it. It's like sitting on a shelf somewhere at Fox. Like Damn. there's no, I, there's no DVD. There's no like link. Um, yeah. I looked it up recently cause I was like, it's been so long that I was like, I don't even remember. Like I, I kind of want to watch some of this again. And, uh, usually I wait like 10 years or more and then I revisit stuff I've done. And like, yeah, I was like, there's like a little joke skit thing on YouTube like it's like an onset like behind the scenes thing and that's it it was it's wild when stuff just wow. disappears yeah wow yeah uh even when i was like yeah because when i was when i was researching I, like i didn't realize it was a seth mcfarland thing uh i just saw the logo for it and like a brief yeah. synopsis and i was like oh okay cool but i didn't realize it was tied to seth, seth mcfarland Man, yeah Fox he was like an, so many shows yeah he was like an executive producer and then ricky blitt was the writer who wrote a bunch of family guy as well oh, um, okay who's also canadian but uh yeah, no, it's pretty wild. Just these things used to just disappear. Um, I, I, I remember reading something somewhere once that said like seventy percent of all films ever made like are gone, like disappear, like completely are gone now or something like that. Um, wow. Yeah, just historically. 
Because I don't. It's like even interesting talking to my dad. I remember like I used to be like oh into nostalgia. Like I was like I wish I lived through the '80s. I wish I saw Bad Brains like you did yeah. in like 1981 or whatever. And my dad's like I don't know. I think I trade places with you. Like he's like we used to like. He's like back when my day. You know you'd have to wait f- to find a record and like. If your copy got fucked, like you couldn't listen to it anymore, and he's like, or a movie, would, a cool movie would come to town, and you'd have to like get on the bus and like go all the way across town and then see it once, and that was it. And so I, it made me think. I was like, yeah, nostalgia is nice, but it is kind of nice to have access to everything. I remember you know? reading a thing with Martin Scorsese who he talked about how hard it was um, to to be influenced by movies when he was growing up because you didn't have you couldn't watch them at home it's like you would go to the theater and you would get your lesson from watching the movie on on the big screen and then remember what you could when you walked out it's like you couldn't study it you know yeah 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 it's, no that's it's, crazy you, you know like i which is cool i guess but i'm like yeah i'm I, it's been pretty nice to be able to like watch party down um ten, <laughs> 10 times i've probably seen it 10 times so might be the first yeah. time in the history of, of a, any conversation ever where it just in the span of 20 seconds went from martin scorsese to party down <laughs> i mean that's yeah that's sort of my shit you know like i like my parents raised me on all the, like the the you know classics and all of that, and but I still love like some good silly, Just give me a silly joke. shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, hey, I like to wrap up every show with uh, with this question, which is, uh, when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure that I've got there yet, um, because my interests have always been so kind of all over the place. Um, I felt like I was kind of getting there right before the pandemic where I was like really starting to like get things in line and like, you know, uh, figure out how to schedule, you know, like I was going to do, uh, the next season of atypical, we're supposed to shoot season four. And then I was going to go, uh, on tour with phalanx cause we had just released an album. And then I was going to, do this other movie that I'm still hoping happens one day that I was really excited about. Um, and I was like, it was like really starting to be like, okay, cool. Like I've got things set. Cause usually my life is just so chaotic. Like I book things to do and then I get a movie and I have to like leave or whatever. And I was really starting to get to that point where I felt like I had like that perfect balance and I was really kind of doing all the things and the, the, giving the right amount of energy to everything. Um, so I'm hoping I get there now. I think the, uh, the pandemic, being able to really sit down and just like stop doing anything for a while um, was really good for me. Um, uh, and so I think it's coming. I think that that moment is hopefully coming maybe this year. We'll see. Amazing. I'll have, well, I'll have my fingers crossed for you. Uh, I, I think you've, you've already done quite a, quite a lot of great things. So I hope you just never, I hope you're never selling yourself short, even though I can understand feeling that way. I, yeah, you know. it's just hard. I'm like really hard, like hard on myself. And, and, um, yeah, it's just kind of how I've, I've always been, but, um, yeah, it's, it's okay though. Cause I, I think, um, I think I'm content. I'm so used to just like kind of always feeling like there's something else I should be doing. Yeah. Um, or I didn't quite do this well that it's sort of my natural state. So, yeah. I totally understand. Do you have any, uh, are you, are you having, uh, are you filming anything coming up or are you chilling at the moment? Um, I'm just sort of waiting to hear about multiple things. Um, you know, it's cause I really want to do all these kind of mid budget films. I love yeah. like a 
you know, $5 million budget movie. Um, and those movies just like don't get made anymore. And it's so hard. Like there's a couple of movies I've been attached to for like four years now and we just almost get there and they're almost going to give us the money. And then it's like, they pull it, pull it back out. Um, so yeah, there's a couple kind of mid budget things, but nothing like I want to say anything yet because it's not set in stone, but I the understand. movie, the movie that I was supposed to do during the pandemic that I was really excited about maybe going in the fall is what I heard. So that okay. would be cool. Yeah. Awesome. I think the last thing that I saw you in was Castle in the Ground, and that was great. Yeah, Castle in the Ground, uh, I'm really proud of that movie. That was, like, cool, too, because it was in Canada. It was a Canadian uh, production, um, and, yeah, there was a long time where I didn't really work in Canada, but it's nice to see how much better Canadian film has gotten and, um, you know, getting recognition as well in the U.S. and stuff is uh, really cool. Sure. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, Kira, thank you so much for, for giving me your time today. It was awesome uh, hanging out with you here, and um, I'm sure I'm going to see you soon. Yeah, um, thank you so much for having me. I, uh, it's an honor to be on this, and um, yeah, now that uh, the vaccines allow us to see each other again, I'm sure I'll see you again very soon, and uh, we'll nerd out over movies and uh, music as usual. Perfect, perfect. All right, man, take care of yourself. All right, bye. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Kira for coming on. If this was your first time here, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it. And uh, if it happens to be on Apple, leave a little uh, rating and review. Helps a lot. Goes a long way. All right. I will see you on Monday with a brand new radio episode. Take care.